the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. Well, this is Heart of the City. My name is Chuck Olmstead. I'm the Director of Local Ministries uh, here at KGNW, and I appreciate uh, joining you every time this week. And uh, with me today, I have Apostle Jimmy James, who is with the ministry War 180, Washington Revival, turning 180 degrees around. And uh, Apostle James can be heard every Sunday evening on KGNW at 730 and Apostle James, welcome today to Heart of the City. Oh, uh, I'm glad to be here, Chuck, and uh, I'm glad you invited me today. Well, you know, this program, uh, I like to spend time with pastors and ministry leaders in the area, and I love for them to share their stories. I just got an email this week from a, a lady who said that she loves listening to this pr- program because she gets to hear some so, some incredible stories about how God has worked in, 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 in people's lives and has revealed his faithfulness through, through the, the storms and trials and the ups and downs of life. And so that's the goal of, of this, is to talk about what, what people have experienced in their life, but then also to share how God uh, sees those things and is faithful uh, to the things that he's promised to do in our lives. And so... Uh, I'd love for you to, to, to start and to share a little bit. Um, uh, you did not grow up in this area, correct? You were that you grew is up correct. in Texas? No, Missouri. Missouri. I, I am a transplant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, where where in Missouri did you grow up? Well, I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. I was uh, born and raised in Kansas City. and uh, I uh, But we was raised in the church, so our grandmother, she was a minister and. uh and they, our family made sure that we stayed in church uh, uh, three, four, five times a week. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what that's all about. I oh, mean, yeah. and I'm sure Grandma had had the had the look when she uh, during that time when you when when you were misbehaving, you knew Grandma wasn't pleased, right? Oh yeah, we have we had our mother and father, but our grandmother was like the the spiritual. Uh, uh, Christian matriarch of the family of the whole family. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so they made sure that uh, 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 the children went to church. And uh, actually, my grandmother was was an apostle. I didn't know that until later on. And she didn't go by titles or anything. She was uh, Reverend Mother O. D. Roberson. That was her name. And uh, but she uh, took us around. I had a large family, ten brothers and sisters. And when and, and little did I know, we were always going from church to church to church to church. And I, well, we was like, why don't we ever just have our own church? But later on, I found out Grandma was always helping churches get started. And we were the choir. And Grandma played the piano. And every time she would go help a pastor start a church, she would bring a choir with them. So we grew up going from different churches uh, singing all the time. Interesting. So... What was what was church like then? Uh, this was back in what the the late sixties. Sixties, yeah, sixties. <laughs> so, 
what was your what was your family like? Was your dad working? Or did he have a full time job? What was what was yes, going no, on? Yes, I had I, I was one of the fortunate families in uh, in our communities from from the inner cities in Kansas City, Missouri, pretty rough neighborhoods, and uh, uh, and uh, the church is what kept our family together. A lot of the families when I go back to Missouri, the the streets were pretty tough on our communities, but uh, thank God that we had a mother and a father who was always there. And uh, and my father was always working. He did a lot of work, and both parents worked. But uh, our mother made sure th- with our grandmother that the children, we were always in church. We all, uh-huh. They made sure everyone, the, the main thing in our family was graduate from high school. And so we always make sure we had a, a, a picture. When you when you graduated, your picture went on the mantle. So we Got grew it. up, I was like the fifth child, so I was in the middle. And so the goal was I have to get my picture on that mantle <laughs> and, uh, uh, and make sure that we always were in church. Interesting. Yes. So do you recall a time then in your life when you made that profession of faith to the Lord? Was it, Or was it one of those things where you grew up in the faith and it was just became a part of your understanding? No, we, uh, I, I don't remember the exact moment, the time, but it, it was, had to have been when we were very young that because of what the work that we were in the church, we were always in church. Uh, but Grandma th- did teach us about salvation, and, uh-huh. and I'm pretty sure I know that we professed and knew that we were Christians and we were saved in Jesus Christ was our Lord and Savior, and uh, uh, and so we had the Bible verses. But we did a lot of musicals and 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 plays and and Sunday school and Sunday church for us. You know, we somebody we played the roles that everyone played in the church. Uh, we had youth church, and so there was a, we had a youth as a youth pastor and. And uh, uh, the whole parts that everyone did in church, we were raised to uh, do those same things in church. But, yes, we knew we were saved. Yeah. We were yeah. in confessions, yeah. So graduate from high school, got your picture on the mantle. <laughs> so then what happens after that? Are you Do you move away from home, move away from family? What what happened? Well, well, what happened is I, I moved away and I went to college in mm-hmm. uh, Central Missouri State University. It's about hours away, an hour drive east of Kansas City, Missouri. And it's, it's now called the University of Central Missouri now. But uh, I went to college for a couple of years. And then uh, I decided I wanted to get married and raise a family. So I joined the military. And after my uh, sophomore year, beginning of my junior year of school, I uh, joined the military. The Vietnam War had just ended then. And they were starting the uh, um, volunteer army. And they were so prepared. no draft at that time. No, I was yeah, the draft just ended. Yeah I, yeah, I graduated in '73, and the draft ended about a year before uh, my yeah, number like would have been called. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the draft just ended. It was '70. Uh, I was in college, and and they were promising to pay for college then. Uh-huh. And so I went ahead and said, "Well, let them pay for my college." <laughs> and I had never been anywhere out of Missouri really, so I met a lot of guys who get, who had gotten out of the military, and they were showing pictures of where they've been all over the world. And I said, "I'm ready to go travel." Yeah. So I got married. And my wife and I, we traveled, and I first went to Germany. And so this was Army. Two, this was reg- Army, right? The regular, Army. Okay. Yeah, and so I went to the military. And I think probably one of those things, going through all of that, going to college and then joining the military, I got away from my uh, Christian roots. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, so I was living a lifestyle of like just a young man seeing the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you you spent time in Germany. Any other places? Oh, uh, yeah. Foreign, foreign? Yeah, I traveled. I did a lot of my one of my main goals of being in the military was to travel the world. So I spent two years living in Europe, and I did a lot of traveling in Europe while I was there. I took advantage of that. It was wonderful. Then I re- came back to states, lived in Colorado Springs. Then I reenlisted because I wanted to go back overseas, and I uh, reenlisted to go to Panama. So I lived in Panama for three years. 
and uh, and so uh, did a lot of traveling in the jungle. <laughs> mm. But Panama was a beautiful country, though, but I lived in uh, Panama. Then I came back to the United States, and um, I, I was in Kansas when I finally uh, got out of the military. And um, then I moved up here to in 1983, and then I had a brother stationed up here. And I came up here, and I moved in. To, I came up here to visit, but I stayed and never left in yeah. 1983. So, so he was in Fort Lewis. He was at Fort Lewis. And once I got to Washington State, I saw how beautiful it was. And I was like, I think I want to live here. So <laughs> this isn't Missouri. It yeah, is. This is not Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> well, having grown up in Illinois, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, because once you get to the Northwest, uh, uh, others, other parts of the country, while beautiful, are not are not the same, are they? And there's right. not the humidity. There's nothing like this. Yeah, no, that's for sure. So, well, you had mentioned that uh, you know, as you kind of drifted away from your your first love of the of the faith. Uh, so, so what? When did that begin to reignite in you? Oh, I'm gonna say I, I was up here in. Uh, uh, I went through some hard times being up here. The, the military life is is a uh, uh, one that. We do. We're there to promote our country and, and to fight for our country, and I, I'm glad I was able to have that experience. But also, one of the other experiences, uh, a lot of young people they get involved with alcohol and other mm-hmm. substances, and uh, you know, it's calling yourself being a man, you know, right? And, uh, and so, but I was prone to be uh, someone who uh, could not handle all of the substance abuse mm-hmm. and the uh, and the drinking and the things, and so I became what an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, through all of those years, when I was here in Washington. Uh, I'm saying 1979, uh, uh, the Lord delivered me from uh, drugs and alcoholism. Wow. And so it was a miraculous delivery. Uh, someone told me, I need some help, and they told me to go to an AA meeting. And I'd never forget, I went to that Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I said, I've never been to one. And I was sitting there, and I was listening to everyone. And I was like, Lord, if you don't do something right now, I'm going to get up out of this meeting. I'm going to get drunk i'm going to get some drugs and i'm going to end it because i couldn't take the pain anymore Mm. and right there sitting there the holy spirit literally came over me spoke to me and said this is the last day and the tears came flowing out of my eyes and i'll never forget that and i said and what i and i always tell people a lot of times when i'm doing my testimony about uh, that deliverance i tell people one day i was a drunk and an alcoholic the next day I was free and delivered from drugs and alcohol. And uh, I never get a lot of the people in the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting came to me and they said, they said, it's okay, brother, it's okay, just one day at a time. Mm -hmm. And I said, you're right, it is one day at a time, but I know that I will never, ever drink and drug again. And that was in uh, December 1989, and I've been sober ever since. Wow. (laughs) So... So you literally gave your you you re uh, re uh, engaged in your spiritual walk with the Lord at, at an AA meeting. Yeah, I was at an AA meeting. I went faithfully to AA meetings a little bit over two years, but the AA uh, the Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, 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 what they call the Big Book, what uh-huh. we call the Big Book, it actually literally. It constantly tells us to seek that higher power. For me, that higher power, I went back to my roots. Right. And for me, that higher power was Jesus Christ. Right. And so I knew as great and as lovely the fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous, I needed Jesus Christ. Without It, it constantly tells us that without that higher power, this this sobriety would be to no avail. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, to constantly seek that higher power, so I knew it's time for me to get back into church because my higher power was Jesus Christ. Because my problem wasn't the drugs and alcohol. I didn't know how to live life. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that will cover everything in my life. So I went back into the church. 
And when I went back into the church, the Holy Spirit moved me. And, and what my grandmother had always prophesied over me as a young man said, you're going to be a preacher. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but that day I, I received that uh, a prophecy and said, and I went to the pastor and said, I've been called to preach. And from that time, I, he started training me. Eventually, I went to school and received my master's degree in theology and, wow. and trained and worked in the ministry. Yeah. So all during this time, since you were you had gotten out of college and and, and started into the military, you'd said that you're married. Your wife's name? Uh, well, I was, I was, back then my wife's name was uh, Phyllis. Uh-huh. We were we were high school sweethearts, and uh-huh. we were, and, uh, and and tragically, you know, the drugs and the alcohol uh, took its effect after years. We got out of the military yeah. and, and came in, and so yes, eventually uh, we we were divorced because of the pain of the. Uh, uh, the drugs and the alcohol and the, the the toll that it took on my family. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. So then, out of that comes a re re renewal of your heart and mind and spirits in in in, in 1989. How how then did the Lord begin to work in your life and uh, and then call you into full time ministry? Well, I I automatically knew I I met a, a my my wife who now her name is uh, Alice. And I met her, and uh, she uh, uh, invited me to her church. And so, uh, but I was going to different churches. I was transitioning in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was going out looking for the right church to show me what I'm supposed to do mm-hmm. through this walk with Jesus Christ. And uh, and going to her church, uh, she was a prolific singer. She was just so beautiful. She had a beautiful voice. And she, I said, "Wow!" I said, "I said I'm going to marry that girl." <laughs> and so, and uh, uh, but then I then I her pastor and I met her her pastor and his, he's still here in Seattle, uh, Dr. Robert L. Jeffrey of New Hope Baptist Church. And I went to that church. It was in 1991, and uh, I heard him speak and. And it was like everything that the Lord had been telling me or showing me or teaching me, he made it plain. And mm. I said, that's what I want. So I uh, became a member of that church and uh, asked him to teach me. Matter of fact, I remember I said, no, I, I want to learn what you know, and how do I go to school, and where do I need to go? And he said, no, I'll teach you. And so he started out with the teaching there. And so uh, I began uh, uh, learning through that that process of uh, what uh, uh, I like to call the prophetic ministry of not only do we worship and praise God inside the church, but also have a major impact in our communities. Mm-hmm. So that was my beginning of learning that this walk with Christ also includes going out of the buildings and touching lives in the community. You're listening to Heart of the City. I'm with uh, Apostle Jimmy James. He's with the War 180 Ministry, and you had mentioned Alice, and uh, and I wanted to kind of move into our conversation regarding her because— um, I, I heard you on your radio program a, a few weeks ago talking about Alice mm-hmm. and um, and uh, her um, being struck with the, the illness of, of Alzheimer's. And uh, so kind of begin with me with that story. She, uh, How old was she when it was first recognized that she was dealing with Alzheimer's? Well, Alice was probably about uh, this early onset uh, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's. She was probably she was about fifty five, I believe. She was about fifty five, and uh, Alice and I, you know, through our uh, marriage, we just did everything together. Ministry, everything. Uh, our children were all grown, and so it was just her and I. And so the only thing we did separate was go to was go to work. Mm-hmm. But after work, everything we did was together and ministry together. We was on the same page, so we was very close. And uh, and then uh, around in I'm gonna say probably 2005 before she uh, 
retired from work, uh, she started showing signs of memory loss. And sometimes I just thought, well, maybe, you know, she's eight years older than I am. And I thought maybe it might just be, you know, get a little older. Everyone forgets right. things. But but around 2007, it progressed to a point to where her personality had begun to change. And so... Was uh, she diagnosed by then, or was it still just, you were still no, just thinking I, it was... I'm thinking of about a year and a half, I'm say from 2005 to 2007. At this time, I was in graduate school. So mm-hmm. right after I graduated from graduate school, things got real bad. And uh, uh, and so uh, I called in a couple of her family members, and uh, they came and helped me assist me to get her to uh, treatment. Because one of the stages, first stages, was is hallucinations and and seeing things, and and uh, uh, not only with the forgetfulness, but seeing things. And uh, uh, so she, uh, they they were she was I was I became the enemy. You know, she was mm-hmm. like, you you're the ones that's keeping me away from uh, doing whatever, coming with all kinds of stories. But once she got with her daughter and a friend of hers they were able to help me get her to a hospital we got her diagnosed uh, in 2007 mm-hmm. and so from that point forward then it was for me i basically had to change my whole um concept about how i worked with her and treated her and understood because a lot of the things that that was going on i was very i couldn't understand because it seemed like you know she wanted to break up or get a divorce and but it was all these other issues that were going on and so we were going through a lot of problems and and now when when he was diagnosed it all came clear so i'm a researcher so that that diagnosis really helped helped you a lot instead of thinking well she's just Having some mental issues, or, yeah. or you know, we've got some serious problems here. Yeah. You you were then able to really identify the the source of that right, struggle. What was really going on? That's why I had to change my own mindset. To, uh, yeah, because I said, oh, okay, no, this is an illness, and uh-huh. uh, and I had to treat it just like if someone has cancer or 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 some other debilitating illness. It's like, no, this is Alzheimer, and I have to take care of her. So. From that point forward, I became her primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. And so you, that was a mindset change for you. I mean, here you are active in church and doing so many things. And so you made that conscious decision of, of kind of doing a reset in your life. Right. It was, it was, a, it was a, turtle, a total uh, turnaround about a change, about what transformation, about what my life was about. She became the primary focus. And so my ministry changed. I converted i couldn't take her out as much to different places like we used like we could because she was what you call ambulatory and she got to a point to where she would walk all day long non-stop but she couldn't do anything else she couldn't do all of her other needs she couldn't do she couldn't eat or feed herself or dress herself or clothe herself i literally went on uh, youtube i never got on youtube for anything before until then that's because she wanted to make sure her face looked right she loved to dress up and look good mm-hmm. and so i had to learn how to do makeup i had to learn how to uh, uh curl her hair because she would get up each morning and she'd look in the mirror and if she didn't look right she was distraught so i would always make sure she i took care of her made sure she looked real good and nice and she would look and say okay and she you felt said, good then. She felt good then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I said, wow, here I am. I'm doing makeup and hair, and uh, I'm something I never had done. So, yes, I, it was a total transformation. Going to the hospital, I'm not a medical guy. I do not like to see blood. I don't really like to go to the doctors and hospital, but I was always in the hospital. So I had to change my mindset about all those different things and be willing uh, to make sure that I did these things that she needed. Yeah, yeah. And so that's uh, in the... 2008, 2009, 2010. So mm-hmm. this is now 2016. And so you've gone th- through this walk with her now for, uh, what, almost 11 years? 
uh, she, uh, I'm going to say 2005 to 2013, 2014, I'm going to say uh -huh. 2005 to 2014, I was her primary caregiver. And one day uh, she, she was having seizures a lot, and so I took her to the hospital. And one of the emergency doctors finally told me, he said, Mr. James, uh, you can't take care of her anymore. And I said, no, I have to. I've been doing this for years. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so uh, they uh, said, no, she needs 24-hour care and professional care. And so uh, they assisted me in finding her a place to live. And, uh, and I think for all those years of doing this work, for all those years, uh, for the first time that sh she wasn't there with me, and my whole life was dedicated to taking care of her. And so I was kind of like in a... Uh, a place to where, what do I do now? And I was like kind of lost. Mm -hmm. And to where I didn't have, uh, my identity was Alice. And uh, I didn't know what to do. So I sh had a lot of struggles mm -hmm. about uh, where am I at? Who, it's kind of like I had to go back seven, eight years. Like, well, who am I? You know, I'm, I know I'm Reverend James, you know, <laughs> Apostle James, but who am I? Because what, what am I doing? Where's the ministry? What am I supposed to do next? What am I going to do without my wife? Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and so I had a lot of struggles with that. Well, we have about four minutes left, mm -hmm. but I, I still want to dig into this Go because, um, you know, I know that there mm -hmm. are people listening today on KGNW who, who are in that place where they've got a loved one mm -hmm. who is uh, in a, whatever stage of Alzheimer's where they're going through some of those same struggles as you, uh, you have and you still are because Alice mm -hmm. is still alive. Alice yes, is still is. living. Yes, she is, and she's in uh, she's in nursing care. And mm -hmm. so, you know, <laughs> because of your own experience, what some of these folks that are listening today are going through. What would you? What are some of the things that you would advise people to? Um, it sounded like that that doctor that was a critical moment for you when that doctor almost kind of shook you mentally and said, "You've done enough." Right. You know, you've done enough. Do, is there a point that, that a lot of people get to where that, that needs to happen? Yes. Uh, what it is is try to, I think if I give one suggestion, uh, utilize your close friends, especially, you know, us in the body of Christ. That's what the church is for. The church is, you know, when, when we rejoice, they'll rejoice with is When you're mourning, then they'll mourn with you. To make sure that you have friends that are there and, and stay connected to the friends and the people who, uh, who really love you and, and to help you and to, to accept the help and seek the help. Try not to close yourself away, uh, in and away from people and uh, uh, get as much help as you can to uh, be it uh, uh, caregivers or friends or family. Uh, not to try to do it all yourself and, and alone and by yourself, but to make sure that you include families and friends because the the one thing that gets a hold of this hard is loneliness. Uh, uh, numbers show that people who are caregivers, uh, like you no know, family for caregiver and family members, they can get just as ill because they're doing so much stress. And I think what happened for me, what kind of relieved me a little bit, was when I finally was able to get some assistance. Mm -hmm. uh, it took a long time for me to get some assistance, mm -hmm. uh, but once I did get some other assistance, and the body of Christ and the people came in to work with me and help me and support me, prayer, constant prayer, people were praying for me. Uh, and, and for Alice also for both of us, you know, because you're the caregiver and you just need that support. Seek the support. Don't lock yourself in. And you had also mentioned to me earlier that, that there are some people that you had, they had said, well, let, you know, come over to our house or that sort of thing. And some people could handle someone who's dealing with Alzheimer's and ha who has Alzheimer's, whose behavior mm -hmm. is strange. And then there are others that just 
they don't know what to do. They can't handle it. And and that's okay as well, I guess. I yeah. mean, but you recognize that having that support and friendships, and even though Alice wasn't behaving normally, yet they still embraced her and, yes, we had, and, and let, we her, had some, let her in. Right, we had some friends, you know, because she liked to walk everywhere she had to. That was part of her thing, but she did was walk. But making sure that the, uh, uh, that the friends, to educate your friends about what's really going on and what the needs of the person is and what your needs are. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that would make everyone feel a little more comfortable. Yeah. Well, I could talk a lot more, uh, but uh, we're running out of time. I've been speaking with Apostle Jimmy James. He's with uh, War 180 Ministry. And uh, you can hear Apostle James every Sunday night at 7.30 on KGNW. And if you'd like to contact him, if this, if this program has uh, been meaningful to you, uh, you can contact him at, at 253 200 uh, 9493 or area code 206-551-3164. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Chuck. been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on KGNW, call Chuck Olmsted at 206-269-6216 or go to KGNW.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.